0: Chapter Fifteen of the Junior Classics, Volume Eight Animal and Nature Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Junior Classics, Volume Eight Animal and Nature Stories. Edited by William Patton. Scrap by lucia chamberlain at the gray end of the afternoon the regiment of twelve companies went through monterey on its way to the summer camp a mile out of the salt meadows and it was here that scrap joined it he did not tag at the heels of the boys who tagged the last company or rush out with the other dogs who barked at the band but he appeared somehow independent of any surroundings and marched, ears alert, stump-tail erect, one foot in front of the tall first lieutenant who walked on the wing of Company A. The lieutenant was self-conscious, and so fresh to the service that his shoulder-straps hurt him. He failed to see Scrap, who was very small and very yellow, until, in quickening step, he stumbled over him and all but measured his long length. He aimed an accurate kick that sent Scrap flying, surprised but not vindictive, to the sidelines, where he considered his head cocked. With the scratched ear pricked and the bitten ear flat, he passed the regiment in review until Company K, with old Muldoon, sergeant on the flank, came by. As lean, as mongrel, as tough and as scarred as Scrap, he carried his wiry body with a devil-may-care assurance in which scrap may have recognized a kindred spirit he decided in a flash he made a dart and fell in abreast the sergeant of company k muldoon saw and growled at him grrr said scrap not ill-naturedly and fell back a pace but he did not slink He had the secret of success. He kept as close as he could and yet escaped Muldoon's boot. With his head high, ears stiff, tail up, he stepped out to the music. Muldoon looked back with a threat that sent scrap retreating heels over ears. The sergeant was satisfied that the dog had gone, but when camp was reached and ranks were broken, he found himself confronted by a disreputable yellow cur with a ragged ear cocked over his nose. "'Well, I'm donned,' said Muldoon, his heart, probably the toughest thing about him, was touched by this fearless persistence. "'Aren't you afraid of nothing, you little scrap?' he said. Scrap, answering the first name he had ever known, barked shrilly. "'What's that dog doing here?' said the tall lieutenant of Company A, disapprovingly. "'I'm after kicking him out, sir.' explained muldoon and upon the lieutenant's departure was seen retreating in the direction of the cook tent with the meagre and expectant scrap inconspicuously at his heels he went to sleep at taps in muldoon's tent curled up inside muldoon's cartridge belt but at reveille the next morning the sergeant missed him between drill and drill muldoon sought diligently "'with insinuations as to the character of dog-stealers "'that were near to precipitating personal conflict. "'He found the stray finally in Company B Street, "'leaping for bones amid the applause of the habitants. "'Arraigned collectively as thieves, "'Company B declared that the dog had strayed in "'and remained only because he could not be kicked out. "'But their pride in the height of his leaps "'was too evidently the pride of possession.' and Muldoon, after vain attempts to catch the excited Scrap, who was eager only for Bones, retired with threats of some vague disaster to before Company B the next day, if his dog were not returned. The responsibility, with its consequences, was taken out of Company B's hands by Scrap's departure from their lines immediately after supper. He was not seen to go. He slid away silently among the broken shadows of the tent. Company B reviled Muldoon. Scrap spent the night in a bugler's cape among a wilderness of brasses, and reappeared the next morning at Garbmount, deftly following the stately manoeuvres of the band. "'Talk about a dog's gratitude,' said the sergeant of Company B bitterly, remembering Scrap's entertainment of the previous evening. "'I'm on to his game,' muttered old Muldoon. "'Don't you see, you fool? He don't belong to any one of us. "'He belongs to the crowd, to the regiment. "'That's what he's trying to show us. "'He's what that Frenchman down in F calls a... Uh, a mascot, "'and he jabbers, he moves like a soldier.' "'The regiment's enthusiasm for Scrap, as voiced by Muldoon, "'was not extended to the commanding officer, "'who felt that the impressiveness of guard-mount "'was detracted from by Scrapp's deployments.' Also, the tall lieutenant of Company A disliked the sensation of being accompanied in his social exertions among ladies who had driven out to band practice by a lawless yellow pup with a bitten ear. The lieutenant, good fellow at bottom, was yet a bit of a snob, and he would have preferred the colonel's foolish Newfoundland to the spirited but unregenerate scrap, but the privates and non-coms judged by the spirit, and bid for the favour of their favourite. And lost money at canteen on the next company to be distinguished as Scrap's temporary entertainers. He was cordial, even demonstrative, but royally impartial, devoting a day to a company with a method that was military. He had personal friends, Muldoon for one, the cook for another, but there was no man in the regiment who could expect Scrap to run to his whistle yet independent as he was of individuals he obeyed regimental regulations like a soldier he learned the guns and the bugles what actions were signified by certain sounds he was up in the morning with the roll of the drums he was with every drill that was informal enough not to require the presence of the commanding officer and during dress parade languished lamenting in muldoon's tent barking furiously He was the most enthusiastic spectator of target practice. He learned to find the straying balls when the regimental nine practiced during release and betrayed a frantic desire to retrieve the shot that went crashing seaward from the sullen-mouthed cannon on the shore. More than once he made one of the company that crossed the lines at an unlawful hour to spend a night among the crooked ways of Monterey. The regiment was tiresome with tales of his tricks. The height of his highest leap was registered in the mess, and the number of rats that had died in his teeth were an ever-increasing score in the canteen. He was fairly a quiver with the mere excitement and curiosity of living. There was no spot in the camp too secure or too sacred for Scrap to penetrate. His invasions were without impertinence, but the regiment was his and he deposited dead rats in the lieutenant's shoes as casually as he concealed bones in the French horn, and slumbered in the major's hat-box with the same equanimity with which he slept in Muldoon's jacket. The major evicted Scrap violently, but, being a good-natured man, said nothing to the colonel, who was not. But it happened, only a day after the episode of the hat-box, that the colonel entered his quarters to find the yellow mascot— fresh from a plunge in the surf and a roll in the dirt, reposing on his overcoat. To say that the colonel was angry would be weak, but, overwhelmed as he was, he managed to find words and deeds. Scrap fled with a sharp yelp as a boot-tree caught him just above the tail. His exit did not fail to attract attention in the company street. The men were uneasy, for the colonel was noticeably a man of action as well as of temper. Their premonitions were fulfilled when at assembly the next morning an official announcement was read to the attentive regiment. The colonel, who was a strategist as well as a fighter, had considered the matter more calmly overnight. He was annoyed by the multiplicity of Scrap's appearances at times and places where he was officially a nuisance. He was more than annoyed by the local paper's recent reference to our Crack Yellow Dog Regiment, but he knew the strength of regimental sentiment concerning Scrap and the military superstition of the mascot, and he did not want to harrow the feelings of the summer camp by detailing a firing squad. Therefore he left a loophole for Scrap's escape alive. The announcement read, All dogs found in camp not wearing collars will be shot by order of the commanding officer. Now there were but two dogs in camp, and the colonels wore a collar. The regiment heard the order with consternation. "'That'll fix it,' said the colonel comfortably. "'Suppose someone gets a collar?' suggested the major, with a hint of hopefulness in his voice. "'I know my regiment,' said the colonel. "'There isn't enough money in it three days before pay to buy a button. "'They'll send him out tonight.' Immediately after drill there was a council of war in Muldoon's tent. Muldoon holding Scrap between his knees. Scrap's scratched ear, which habitually stood cocked, flopped forlornly. His stumped tail drooped dismally. The atmosphere of anxiety oppressed his sensitive spirit. He desired to play, and Muldoon only sat and rolled his argumentative tongue. From this conference those who had been present went about the business of the day with a preternatural gloom that gradually permeated the regiment. The business of the day was varied, since the next day was to be a field day, with a review in the morning and cavalry manoeuvres in the afternoon. All day Scrap was conspicuous in every quarter of the camp, but at supper-time the lieutenant of Company A noted his absence from his habitual place at the left of Muldoon in the men's mess-tent. The lieutenant was annoyed by his own anxiety. "'Of course they'll get him out, sir,' he said to the major. "'Of course,' the major assented, with more confidence than he felt. The colonel was fairly irritated in his uncertainty over it. Next morning the sentries, who had been most strictly enjoined to vigilant observation, reported that no one had left the camp that night, though a man on beat four must have failed in an extraordinary way to see a private crossing his line six feet in front of him. The must have failed to produce any rag-eared, stub-tailed, eager-eyed, collarless yellow cub. Nor did the mess-call raise his shrill bark in the vicinity of the cook's tent. The lieutenant felt disappointed. He thought that the regiment should at least have made some sort of demonstration in Scraps' defence. It seemed a poor return for such confidence and loyalty to be hustled out of the way on an official threat. It seemed to him the regiment was infernally light-headed, as pipe-clay-white and nickel-bright in the morning sun it swung out of camp for the parade-ground where the dog-carts and runabouts and automobiles were gathering from del monte and the cottages along the shore the sight of the twelve companies moving across the field with the step of one warmed the cockles of the colonel's pride the regiment came to parade rest and the band went swinging past their front past their reviewing stand As it wheeled into place, the colonel, who had been speaking to the adjutant, who was the lieutenant of Company A, bit his sentence in the middle and glared at something that moved, glittering, at the heels of the drum major. The colonel turned bright red. His glass fell out of his eye socket. "'What the devil is the matter with that dog?' he whispered softly. And the adjutant, who had also seen, and was suffocating, managed to articulate, "'Collars!' The colonel put his glass back in his eye. His shoulders shook. He coughed violently as he dressed the adjutant. "'Have that dog removed. No, let him alone. No, adjutant. Bring him here.' So the adjutant, biting his lip, motioned Muldoon to fall out. Tough old Muldoon tucked scrap, struggling, squirming, glittering like a hardware shop under his arm, and saluted his commander while the review waited. The colonel was blinking through his glass, and trying not to grin. "'Sergeant, how many collars has that dog got on?' Thirteen, sir,' said Muldoon. "'What for?' said the colonel severely. "'One for each company, sir, and one for the band.'" End of chapter 15